You are Locked On Lakers, your daily podcast on the Los Angeles Lakers. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, welcome everybody to Locked On Lakers. I am your host, Harrison Fagan. Anthony is not with me today. He is in mourning about D'Angelo Russell's recently announced knee injury and currently at a hospital trying to explain to a confused doctor to take his knees and give them to D'Lo. Uh, that, that is, it sounds like it is not going well, but we will keep you updated on that on Twitter. Before I get into who's replacing him, I wanted to remind you that, as always, you can find our full shows on Megaphone, Panoply, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Today's Fast Break, Spotify, and Alexa. Okay, so now with that intro out of the way, uh, you know, my actual dad, this is like a real life sad story, but he's at, he's actually upset with me because yesterday I borrowed his car and I went to the beach with a friend and she tracked sand all over it and I forgot to clean it out. So he's actually kind of pissed off at me. So I decided to bring on my internet dad, Coach Pete Zayas of Laker Film Room and Forum Blue and Gold for hopefully like a little bit more fatherly approval, although I'm not expecting much. How's it going, Pete? I don't approve of uh, 10 a.m. recording times for podcasts. I don't approve of that. <laughs> but it's okay. Hey, I've got some. I've got some coffee in my bourbon, so I'm good. Oh, okay, good, good, good. Yeah, I actually have two cups of coffee sitting next to me. But this is uh, this is the schedule that that you know running a school paper has put me on, and so I appreciate you mm-hmm. jumping on so early. And if any major news breaks later in today, I apologize in advance for making both of us sound like idiots. Um, but uh, I guess originally before, you know, my dad got mad at me, the, the original reason I wanted to bring you on was that Anthony and I have, uh, taken some heat, I think, and like probably somewhat fair heat for being very pessimistic about this Lakers defense and the improvement that they're showing on that end. And I don't know, like, I guess you seem to have bought into their improvement a little bit more just judging by your Twitter and judging by your videos, which all of you guys should be checking out. And can you tell me either A, why I should get used to this defense, or B, when it's going to come crashing down on our heads and why God hates the Lakers? You know, I, I think the the truth is somewhere in between. I don't think they're currently ranked sixth in defensive rating, and I don't think they're going to finish there. Um, but I think they're probably, you know, somewhere in the 9 to 12 range is where I think they'll end up. Uh, a, a couple factors. Um, Brooke Lopez makes fewer mistakes. Um, first of all, the first unit and the second unit play different styles defensively. The first unit is more of a traditional hedge and recover on pick and rolls, you know, uh, weak side rotates over and then help the helper type stuff. Whereas the second unit with uh, Randall and then more physical guards like Clarkson and Hart, at least until recently, uh, until the last game, are able to switch competently onto big guys. So, you know, you have that improvement. Lopez, you know, makes very few mis- fewer mistakes than Mozgov did at the starting five position. You have significantly better defenders at the guard spots. Um, you're seeing a lot of Lonzo's ability to help off of the ball. He had he's had a few steals where the defend the offensive player throws the pass directly to him, and it's kind of neat to see how his way of seeing the game on the offensive end 
colors how he defends. Like he's like, you know, if I was coming off of this screen and I was making this read, this is where I would be looking to pass the ball. So you think and he'll stand you, right in that? You think that calculus is actually going through his head? You think that's why he's been able to steal the ball? I, I don't think that it's a like. I don't think it's a conscious. Uh, you know that those are the words going through his head when he's doing it, but I think he's absolutely able to read who the ball handler is and you know what his reads are going to be off of that. Yeah, I absolutely do, and I think for him, he's a guy that's played a certain way for so long that it's it's instinctual. That's kind of crazy to think about it like that. I had never thought about like you know I hadn't thought a whole lot about like point guards seeing the game defensively just because they have such good offensive court vision that wasn't like really a factor that I had considered as far as like his own defensive success goes and then I guess the the other thing is like like I don't know like how much has this surprised you because I wasn't I mean obviously the fact that I've been pessimistic about the defense means that I probably didn't think that highly of it going into the season and did you expect anything on this level going back into the I mean I'd have to go back and check but I don't remember like really anyone being expecting the Lakers to be anywhere near even league average not in the least bit I I am as surprised as anybody else and what is especially startling about it is that it just flipped overnight they were terrible defensively for most of the preseason and it was a lot closer to what I expected and what we'd seen and then just overnight you know I think it was after the in the Pelicans game they lost the home game against the Pelicans but they went on a big run in the third and fourth quarter they took the lead briefly after being down by 20 plus and ever since that point they've been really good on the defensive end and that's so rare there's so much about defense that's predicated on continuity and communication and trusting teammates that improvement on then is normally gradual from a team basis whereas on the offensive end you know you can add a player or two and by the the force of his will and and his ability he's able to make you jump you know 10 spots in the rankings offensively rarely happens that way on the defensive end and I'm as surprised as anyone else yeah I want to talk a little bit more about that in just a second Okay, so I, I, you mentioned the Pelicans game specifically, and I think what I remember most about that game was that it was also kind of the Julius Randle coming out party. He that that was the first game, if I'm remembering correctly, that was the first game where he really played well, and or or in my mind that it like that he kind of jumped off the screen at me. I mean, how much do you think his own defensive improvement has contributed to this? He's absolutely a guy that's always had this in him, but never had the motor, whether it was he didn't care as much about it or he wasn't in the physical condition. You know, much was made about his improvements, the improvements to his body. Um, But this was something he was always capable of, of, always had great feet. I've been kind of startled by the, you know, Julius Randle rim protector that we've seen. He's averaging, last I checked, yeah. close to like two blocks per 36 minutes and um, just some really great rotations. And yeah, it's, he has a unique skill set on both ends of the court where you can't just like, if Randall gets hurt, you can't just go to the next guy and ask him to do what Randall does. Randall's a big reason why the second unit is able to switch. And you just can't approximate that with a lot of other guys. And then, I mean, as part of that, like some of the irreplaceability of some of these parts and like kind of how thin the Lakers are in some ways, is that as much of a thing, a part as any is why you don't really think that this is going to keep up the whole year? Because every team takes injuries at some point. It's not like we're just saying like, oh, Randall has to get hurt or something. Like, I don't know who it's going to be, but at some point, someone's probably going to get injured. Uh, Do you think that the Lakers have the depth to kind of sustain that at all? 
you know, so there's a term in engineering, and I'm I'm borrowing this from a, a friend of mine, um, and uh, it was an internet conversation. Forgive me for the for for not citing him. He's an engineer, and there's something called the single point of failure, which is what engineers look at in any structure or anything that they're building. Where like, what is the weakest part? What is the place where this all goes to crap if this messes up? And to me, defensively, that's Lonzo. You fall off, so, okay. which, is, which is really unusual for a guard. I'm not really a guy who puts much value in guard defense. You know, we've seen Kyrie and Isaiah Thomas and countless other, like, pretty bad, you know, point guard defenders go very far and be significant parts of their team. But Lonzo, and, and this is true on the offensive end of the ball, like, they're so lacking in a backup for him uh, we really saw that in the Milwaukee game where they just didn't have anyone who could run point guard on one end and then, you know, on the other end, be able to trail and recover and then off of the ball, be able to get into those passing lanes. You know, so Lonzo's a guy that hasn't been particularly uh, sturdy from a health standpoint since the beginning of his college career. Thankfully, we've been off to a you know, nice start in that respect and knock on wood. But if Lonzo goes down, I think you'll see the defense degrade significantly. Okay, so that's not, I think, I think it's I think it's very fair to say that as much as the defense that the Lakers have played was not expected, I think Lonzo being the single point of failure, as you called him, for for the defense is fairly unexpected as well. Like, I think a lot of people thought that he would be that for them offensive that for the Lakers offensively and he just hasn't been yet really it's actually statistically the last time that I checked I haven't checked since last game so maybe that changed a little bit but the Lakers you know by like the metrics were actually better with him off the floor offensively and I'm just like I mean and then obviously last night we're recording this Sunday morning he goes out and he becomes the youngest player to ever get a triple double and uh, do you think that anything has started? Do you, did that game seem repeatable to you? Obviously not the triple-double part. He's not going to average a triple-double this year. But did you see anything change, really, that makes you think, okay, maybe this is starting to click for him and he's going to be this offensive force like this year that everybody kind of thought he would be as a rookie? Really, it all hinges on his shot. I know that isn't particularly high-level analysis, but we're talking about somebody who thus far has been historically bad as a shooter his you know true shooting percentage going into the game was 35 percent league average is like 54 or 55 percent um and the result of that is you know teams will go under screens the way that they defend the pick and roll basically defenses are gearing everything to be like you know Alonzo score score in this relatively common relatively easy situation but prove that you can do it first and up until the Milwaukee game, with a couple of exceptions, notably the Phoenix game, he hasn't been able to do that. Um, go ahead. So I was just going to ask, like, what what do you think in your mind as somebody like I, I, I always give you a hard time calling you coach and stuff like that. I know you're not trying to say that you're an NBA coach or anything like that. But like it, <laughs> with what you've been watching, what's wrong with his shot? Like what, what stands out to you other than like kind of the weird release? Because it's always worked for him before. There are two things that I I think are the places to start i am not of the opinion that his funky gather and and shooting stroke is all of that uh problematic i did a video recently on you know why is lonzo struggling to score and the two things that i pointed out regarding his jump shot is that he really he jumps severe really jumps far forward on his jumper which he's always done um but in the nba so he's he's always been most effective on his step back 
threes. And part of that is that that motion stepping back counteracts the very natural jump, the the severe jump forward that he has in his shot. He doesn't do it as severely. Um, So that's something, when you see him land, the conventional way of teaching how to shoot, and there may be some folly in trying to apply this logic to a guy with such an unconventional form, but is that you want your feet to land underneath your shoulders on the shot. It's everything within that is with the idea that uh, you're on balance. And Mm. this is something you've heard Luke allude to in terms of his footwork. We're working on his balance. When he jumps that far forward, what you see when you slow it down and when you go to freeze frames is that his feet are a good, you know, foot ahead, 12 inches ahead of where his shoulders are. Like, he's leaning severely back. And, you know, that adds a component, uh, that adds an extra component of uh, movement that he has to account for. Then in his shooting stroke, um, he finishes a little flat. This is similar to Ingram. It was interesting. The, he hit three three-pointers against Milwaukee, and two of them were really well contested against a team that has a lot of length. And the way he shot those two, he was forced to finish higher on his follow-through and put more arc on the shot, or else it would have got blocked. And you'll very rarely, even on his makes, see him swish a shot, and one of those makes was a swish. So... That shooting stroke of finishing high and his footwork, you know, jumping too severely far forward are uh, are the two main things that I'd like to see them change. Okay, so I want to talk a little bit more about this in just a second. Okay, so why why do you think that this has been such a bigger problem for him in the NBA then? Because uh, like we've we've all talked about, he he's always had the funky release. You said that you you remember him kicking forward a little bit even in college and watching him in high school and stuff. So why has it caused so many more struggles for him in the NBA in your mind? I think he's a little bit in his head. Um I mean, you he know, said as much. Yeah, I the thing that I go to when it comes to shooting the thing that I go to to kind of determine whether or not it's mental problems, because that's very difficult to quantify, right? Is like, yeah. you know, he, he can say, even him saying that doesn't necessarily prove that point. Uh, I go to, is your free throw percentage what it was in college? And reason being is that really all of the other factors are the same, right? You're not being defended. It's from the same distance. The basket's the same height. It's the most controlled, translatable thing. Yeah. He's. Sure. Exactly at 50%. He wasn't a good free throw shooter in college, but he was a 67% free throw shooter there. I, I've noticed he's got the ball really deep in his palm. Uh, ideally, when on your shooting hand, you don't want the ball to be contacting your palm. And I think that's probably true even with his funky mechanics. Um, and, and so that's something that he's got going on there. But yeah, when you see that severe of a drop free throw percentage wise, I think that's when you start getting into some mental issues. So I think that we're going to start to see his jumper and his scoring ability normalize. I don't think that, you know, we're 13 games into the season now. I I don't think the first dozen games are going to be representative of the last, you know, 70. Okay, so that was Lonzo-esque transition ability from you right there, because you just led me into a question that I did not tell you that I was going to ask. So and now you're ball, now you're ball stopping, Harrison. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. I know. I'm 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 Clarksoning this podcast right now. But I, <laughs> one thing that I did want to ask you is this is actually a question from one of our listeners, DC Moore, 1990, 
And he uh, he basically said that he's talking. He said like Lonzo is if he starts to become a free throw threat and he's scoring a little bit offensively, or he's not doing that right now. But that that's honestly the only flaw he's seeing so far, and it's kind of the loudest stat that people look at. And I actually agree with that because I just think like it's so easy for talking heads to get like six minutes out of just oh Lonzo shooting the ball worse than anyone who's ever taken this many shots, and let's just argue about it rather. Than and like try and figure out what's actually going on but i just do you think that if he starts to figure out his sh- is that really the only problem if he starts to figure out his shot does he just kind of jump right on that transcend that transcendent trajectory that i think everybody kind of thought that he would be on entering the league bro lonzo is so good that if he just becomes an average shooter an average scorer you're talking talking going to be talking about one of the best players in the league in the next few years you're that He's- confident I'm that, and the reason being is the, to me the defense is the revelation of him this year. He was a guy who really died on a lot of screens last year at UCLA. Um, he was okay at staying in front of guys, but I thought that he was going to be a lot more uh, built to defend the shooting guard position. Uh, he's been phenomenal on the defensive end, and when you combine that with he's a one of the better rebounding point guards in the NBA right now. Easily. He he's a top I think 6 or 7 assist guy. He's had a great assist to turnover ratio, which is really remarkable for a rookie and with how many touches that he's getting. You know, what are the holes in his game outside of a very glaring and very important one? Don't get me wrong, when you're you he can't continue to shoot the way that he has over the course of the season thus far. But if he just gets to an average level, and the thing is, is that he's not a guy that pounds the ball. Like, he's not a, a, what happens, a lot of guys that can really rack up triple doubles and assists have the ball for so much of the possession that it doesn't give other guys the opportunity to flourish within that. Now, the Lakers can't make a shot right now, but no, that isn't cannot. for, that isn't for uh, right, that isn't for, due to the fact that Lonzo is dominating the ball too much. So I absolutely agree with him on his point that, you know, if he just gets to the point where he's okay at those things, oh my goodness. So where do you think, where do you think he ends up? So you're thinking like what, like top five in the league, if he just figures out within a couple years, obviously not this year, but like within like five years, like maybe five or six years, like top five in the league or something like that. If he figures out a shot, like what level are we talking about here when you say star? I, I think he can be a top five player in the NBA, it, especially if you look at the game from a like how much do you impact wins and losses standpoint. I'm I'm still even with how he's shot so far, he's been so good in every other area. Like he's a plus. Like not for, I always think about guys because we Lord knows we've had our share of young players so far. I always try to judge them for like how good are they for their age and position. He's not only good at everything else for his agent position, he's just good at everything else. He's above average in just about every other aspect of the game. I can't think of something else right now where he is not an above average player when you put the scoring aside. That's incredible for a rookie 20-year-old point guard. Yeah, and I, I thought that one of the most interesting points that you kind of made off air the other day to Anthony that he was taught. I don't remember if we talked about this on the podcast or if it was uh, or if it was off the air, but he was saying that you told him that even with Lonzo forcing passes, he still looks kind of like one of the better passers in the league. And I think that that is like an interesting factor to consider. He's shooting horribly. Teams know that he only wants to pass. They know that he's going to force passes. He forces passes anyway, and he still isn't having these like rampant turnover issues. 
Yeah, it's and that's something that yeah, that is something that Anthony and I uh, talked about a little bit is that usually, you know, we had a a football analogy, right? Is it's you talk about an NFL quarterback's completion percentage. It's like, well, yeah, he might be throwing, you know, two yard passes to the running back every play. That doesn't necessarily mean that you're being playing the position effectively. What usually happens with guys at the point guard position is so there are, there are you've got to read five different players and this is something i had an interesting conversation with alex caruso about is at the point guard when do you know when it's you who's supposed to be the one taking the shot and there are a lot of times where that's that's the decision that lonzo struggles with the most is when it's supposed to be him and but when it's supposed to be you that probably means the other four guys are defended but he's so accurate with his passes especially to the role man like just threading the needle in these very small windows and getting the ball to the role man when he's not technically open, but Lonzo makes him open. You know, that's as soon as he becomes more confident and gets better at his footwork, which is not a guarantee, but if he's able to do that, that just makes the floor open up. As soon as they have to respect him in the slightest bit, he's going to be like, it's going to be a pick your poison situation, like the best guys in the league. So if he just because I am a natural pessimist and it is my job to rain on people's parade, let's just let's go down the darkest timeline. Lonzo never figures the shot out. Where do you see his ceiling then? Rondo, when Rondo, you know, prime Rondo, like when he was good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And and that's not a bad player either, honestly. No, no, it's really not. And and we're saying you know, when we think of Rondo now, that's a different player than he was four or five years ago when he could really put his stamp on the game. Like, yeah, no, there I think was like he, a time when Rajon Rondo was a good player and not an internet joke. Right. Uh, the thing is, like, Lonzo Ball can hit jump shots. He's shot enough of them, even on the collegiate level. Like, even if we're just talking open jumpers, Rondo could never make open jumpers. I mean, he's gotten he's been able to do that the last couple of years as he's gotten older, but that's been as his other skills and his athletic ability has deteriorated. Like people always think like, oh, you know, when Lonzo gets to the NBA, he's not gonna be able to shoot, you know, because the defenders are longer, the closeouts are better. No, he's coming into this last game, I don't know what it is, you know, after he hit three out of five against Milwaukee. He was shooting 18% on open jumpers and 28% on wide open jumpers. Yeah. Uh, And these are three-pointers, not jumpers, but 18% on open three-pointers, which is defined as the nearest defender is four to six feet away. And then 28% when the nearest defender was six-plus feet away. So, like, I'm not – I don't envision a future where Lonzo is – breaking a guy off one-on-one and scoring on him on a consistent basis. But, like, being able to make open shots, he's already shown in his career, both collegiately, you know, and and uh, I suppose he hasn't shown it in the NBA yet, but he's already demonstrated the ability to make open shots. And so if he can just get to that point, you're already talking about a better player than Rondo. And he was a damn good player once upon a time. So if you if you had to bet, and I know that you have kind of a poor track record with betting on podcasts because of your bet with Darius Soriano about Ingram's kind of scoring ability, but if you had to bet and make a whoa 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 whoa, let me stop you right there. When 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 Ingram scores twenty two points per game, that is the that is the bet that Darius and I have. Like I, I will eat as much crow as he eats, you know lavishly at whatever fancy restaurant he wants to go to but 
but let's slow down a little bit. You know, Ingram, it's been a couple of games since Ingram's hit a shot in the half court. So let's, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't, no, no shade yet for me, Harrison. I will oh, okay, not, okay. I no, will not it, tolerate such insolence. Okay, fine, fine. <laughs> all right, all right. So, but just, I guess, given that you already have a bet out there on a podcast, and you know, like, no, we are, we're bloggers. We aren't made of money. Uh, what, if you had to bet on Lonzo become, getting closer to kind of the first scenario that we talked about, the top five player in the league, or, um, or, or closer to the, like, prime Rondo level, where would you say he'll probably land closer if you had to pick today? Um, that's a really good question. I'd say probably slightly closer to Rondo, but the, the distance between prime Rondo, got it. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, at at Laker film room on Twitter. No. Um, it's a, the distance between a top five player in the NBA and prime Rondo was not that far. Rondo in his prime was a top 20 guy. And you know, like so we're talking the difference between a star and a superstar. Okay, well that's good. I, I guess I guess that lead. I, I don't have anything almost else more to add on Lonzo about that. I mean, I, I feel more optimistic about his future just after the last ten minutes. So uh, the other guy that I wanted to talk to about uh, talk about is his fellow rookie Kyle Kuzma, who might be like like his if they gave two K scores for confidence, I think he'd be at like a one fifty. Just between the way that he plays and the way that he gives interviews. And the other day he was saying that, you know, if he was drafting, he would have went top five. And I said it on Twitter today on Sunday. I don't think he's like that far off. Like I think uh, I wrote about this. I think because of his age, I think maybe top five is a little high. But like, if you were if you were redrafting the most recent draft today, where would you have Kuzma? Like, I don't need an exact number, but would you have him in the top five or would you have him out of the top five? Uh, he'd be right on the fringe of that top five, top seven, somewhere in there. The other guys that you could make a case for outside of him are guys that, you know, have the potential that you'd be kind of, uh, you'd be projecting a little more than you are with Kuzma. Like Kuzma's ready made. Yeah, he's that's where become, the age thing comes in. Right, he's gonna get better, but like he's he's older. But I think sometimes we go too far in the other direction of like. Oh, he's 21 and he's 22 now, right? But he was 21 when he was drafted. Where where we go, oh, well, you know, he's close to his ceiling. Not really, not at 21, you know? And he's, I, I think we can go too far in that other direction. And to me, like, he's gonna, he's a sure thing. Like, he's going to be a solid starter in the NBA to beyond that. I think he has the potential to make an all-star game in his career. And I know it sounds like I'm like crazy hyping our our young guys, but I'm not that way about every Laker young guy that we've we've had. These two guys are incredible. No, I mean this is hey, this is why we bring you on because I am a pessimist and I need a counterbalance. And sometimes Anthony gets in a bad mood and he can't be that. So, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I just I guess like so you don't think that this is an age or polish thing with Kuzma. You think that this is legit and you think that there is also room for improvement. This isn't like Brogdon last year where yeah he was putting up numbers, but everybody kind of knew that he had like hit about this that was about as good as he's going to be maybe he makes a couple incremental improvements but with Kuzma you think that there's room for like kind of a quantum leap yeah he's a better athlete he's um got better court vision well Brogdon has decent court vision but he's you know he's he's a better athlete he is younger than Brogdon Brogdon was what yeah 30 32 33 when he ended the league last year 37 but I'm not uh, yeah I'll have to double check that (laughs) (laughs) um 
the thing about Kuzma is that it's his skill level it's that's so polished and that's a word I always use with him is he's a guy that you know you hear the term three level scorer which means you can score at the basket in the mid-range and from beyond the arc I think that probably the biggest weakness in his game right now is his shot selection and knowing when that's the 150 confidence score in 2k for sure and and to extend it a little bit beyond shot selection it's like he can travel when he attacks a closeout or he can run someone over trying to dunk on them from 10 feet away you know again confidence of 150 right yeah Uh, these are all things that like experience kind of teaches you like, Oh, that doesn't work in the NBA. But in terms of the footwork and the skill set, he's capable of doing it all. And he can pass. Um, he also has some switchability as a defender. He's, you know, kind of a, there's a lot of good and a lot of bad about him on the defensive end. He's a guy that you kind of need to use in the, in the right way. I don't think he's ever going to be a guy who can bang down low with guys. Um, but if you're asking him to swish onto a guard on the perimeter, he's very capable of that. Um, you know, he can run the floor well. He's a great cutter. What I love about his scoring ability is that most of it is off of the ball. It's off of cuts. It's off of spot-ups, attacking closeouts, things where he doesn't start with the ball but he's able to exploit the opportunity that's been created. And that's why him and Lonzo can be, you know, kind of peanut butter and jelly. Yeah, he's like Lonzo's Remora fish a little bit. Like a very, very overqualified giant Remora fish, I guess. I, I don't know that analogy, but oh, I'll, they're, I'll... they're the little, they're the fish that like attach themselves to sharks and like clean them uh, in exchange uh, for yes. protection, basically. So, they, yeah, so that's, that was my poor uh, marine life analogy of the podcast. That just I'm sure you have a lot of marine life fans uh, of the LOL podcast. Yeah, so. well, the, we, have the, we have the giraffe fan listeners, and then we have that's the marine true. biology very... fan listeners. So, you know, we got, we got it all on Lockdown Lakers. It's a very uh, demographically diverse podcast, uh, which you can advertise on. Hit us up at lakers.lockedon at gmail.com, I think, is the correct email address. <laughs> um <laughs> So what do you, last thing on Kuzma before we start to get out of here, but I wanted to ask, he's played a lot at kind of both the three and the four. He's obviously starting at the four now. I thought that that was going to really be his only position in the NBA entering the year. I was like, okay, he played the three a little bit in summer league or he defended wings or whatever, but that's summer league. I'm not sure if he can do it. He's proven me to be an idiot as usual. And uh, so he can play the three a little bit, but I'm just wondering like, what do you see as his position long-term moving forward? I, you know, I, I think Darius calls him a 3.5, and okay. I think that's a good uh, and it's a good description of him. He's played the four almost exclusively since Nance went down. Now that because it it looks as though Luke has determined that Randall is exclusively a five at this yeah. point, yeah. and so with Nance going down, that kind of leaves Kuzma. They've gone small and had Ingram at some four. You know, when when Kuzma's off the court, but Kuzma's playing crazy minutes now. I think he got 42 minutes against Milwaukee. You know, he's in the high 30s almost every night, and it's almost all at the four position now that Luke has determined that. Um, yeah, Luke, I think... Luke listened to the Twitter people saying, like, they need to find Kuzma as many minutes as they can get him and took it very, <laughs> very literally. Yes, he did, most most certainly. Um, yeah, I, I think he could very well play some three. I think, the, I think the one thing that you lose from having him at the three is he is good in, as a screen setter in, in that – I mean, he slips most of his screens, but he's good at slipping into the right spot and into space. At the three, like you can have, you can run some like one three pick and rolls, but you get fewer fewer screens from the three spot than you do from the four spot. So I think having him at the three, you may lose a little bit of that, but I think he's close to just as proficient at the three as he is at the four. Yeah, I mean, I think either way, it is. It's just 
amazing to say it's almost become overstated now but still just like the fact that the lakers got this guy at 27 is it may single-handedly bail them out of the d'angelo russell trade because now all of a sudden you have this guy that's basically a lottery pick on your team uh when, when you thought that you were kind of losing that type of player and you were only going to be able to rely on free agency and the added bonus of that is being a late first round pick his contract is so low that he's basically a free player he's his salary over the next few years is not going to be that much different than the veteran minimum. So you've got this guy who's going to be a starting caliber player for a very long time and possibly more, basically for free for the next four years. And the team building things that you can do off of that are, you know, it, it's a game changer. And it certainly makes the sting of not having a 2018 pick a little bit less for me. Yeah, there's that There's that factor too as well, for sure. So uh, we'll go ahead and wrap up the like the basketball talk on that. But one thing that I did, you know, you have obviously changed your coverage or the way that you cover the team a little bit more, a little bit this year as compared to how you did last year. Last year, it was very much like, you know, you were a blogger like me uh, and we, you were starting out and it was pretty much all stuff that was based on X's and O's and analysis and like breaking down film and all that stuff. And that's what's giving you a voice. And that's why I think myself and everyone else like that follows you and watches all your videos and follows your Twitter account, listens to you and pays attention to you. You have this like very nuanced X's and O's way of looking at the game. But I guess what I was curious about, because in my experience, uh, I started out, you know, I'm obviously not as analytical as you, but I was also like very removed from the team. And then I started to get like credentials a little bit. And I know that my viewpoints on basketball and the dynamics of the team started to change a little bit so one thing that I wanted to ask you about like the last thing before we wrap up was how do you feel like what's changed most about the way that you look at basketball since you started kind of being around the team almost every day this may not be the direction that you're looking for in this answer but for me it's like figuring out the media the the whole Laker film room thing like I've stumbled onto the next step Every step of the way like I just started doing this kind of for my own amusement and I tweeted at you and Ben Rosales like hey I made this video about Luke becoming the Lakers coach and then here we are like 18 months later and it's been this and you have like, surpassed both of us I believe in following <laughs> well I, I mean it's not not that's not necessarily I mean that's that's cool that's that's awesome that I'll, I'll brag got, for I'll, you it's fine you don't have to you don't have to like trash talk <laughs> fair enough but it, it's so like I never started out with the a grand plan of this is how I'm you know going to this is what it's going to look like in 18 months. I never had a business plan mm -hmm. for doing this and I'm still figuring that out along the way. For me, I have never so much as covered a high school team and then like the first time I cover anything in a reporter type of hat, I'm in front of Luke freaking Walton at the Lakers facility. You know what I mean? And I'm standing next to Tanya Ganguly and Bill Oram and Um Young Misuk and like all of these people that I've been reading for ages that I you know have looked up to and and it's just so there's still a component of like trying to not be there and be like holy crap holy crap holy crap you know and and figure out how because my the way that I cover is very different than them in it's like you said it's that X's and O's standpoint rather than more narrative driven and there's a place for both um, but I'm trying to navigate how do I like I can't just be like Luke well, why do your rotations suck you know yeah, what I mean like I have to and I have to ask questions for one that I can't just vent my frustrations as a fan 
but I also want to get answers. I, like I want them to answer the question in a way that is that is uh, viable to my type of content that I create. I've been learning from the other people that cover the team on a regular basis, kind of how they go about getting quotes for their pieces. And it's been interesting to, I, I kind of feel like the media makes things out to be a little bit bigger than they are. Like kind of being in the media scrum, I'll hear something be said and I'm like, Oh yeah, that's no big deal. And then I'll see on Twitter. It's like, Oh my God, Luke said this. And yes, it's like, that or was one, said this. That was one of the most stark things to me about it. Other than like, I actually had a similar experience to you. Like my first credentialed experience was at Lakers summer league. And uh, it was like D'Angelo Russell and Mark Madsen. I remember were like my first two interviews. And before that, I'd only ever covered a city council meeting. And then the other thing, yeah, is like you said, in the scrum, like these things, like somebody says something is like an aside and it ends up becoming like the big story on Twitter of the day. Yeah. And, and it's like, there's no context that's given to it. And also, yeah. I think that over – and this is totally understandable. This is not a knock on anyone I, I get. So I'm I'm learning the game. But one of the things that I've learned is that the media – it's almost the job of the media to make it themselves sound more important than they are and have more access than they do. The reality about being credentialed to go into Lakers practice is you don't actually see the Lakers practice. Nope. What they do nope. – is they let you in for the last 15 to 20 minutes and they let you in. You all kind of mingle around and watch the players get up three pointers or shoot free throws or very, you know, every occasionally you'll see them do some five on five stuff and that's cool. But in terms of like what they're working on, we're not in there like watching them. Oh, they're working on their pick and roll defense now. And now they're doing five on O offense. That's just not how it works. And so it's all very much structured you know, and, and it's controlled by the Lakers for obvious reasons, and that's true of every team of, like, what access you have and when you have it. Yeah, of course. So, no team wants, like, what pick-and-roll coverage they're working on getting out, you know, in the press. There's, like, a reason that we get let in when we get let in. Ab- absolutely. but and, and I'm sure this happened. This has happened to you as well, but I'll, I'll get people asking me, like, you know, from what you've seen in practice, uh, is X, Y, and Z happening? Or, it like, it's like, you think way higher of what my access is than what it actually yeah. is you know what i mean yeah. like i like i you get glimpses and like the only thing i'm, I'm able to see is like you know ingram normally pra- normally practices his jumper in the court that's right by where they have all of us stand so he's close enough like a few feet away to where i see things that i don't see when i watch on tv right so like oh this is where the ball is in his hand this is the rotation on the ball there are things that you just can't see from the camera that far away yeah that's really cool but that's probably the extent of the you know extra access that i have and overall i'm still learning like how all of this even works to be honest yeah no that 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 my favorite one is the is the twitter questions that you met like can you tell ingram that he just needs to do this and this on his jumper like no believe it or not i'm not going to go over to ingram's locker right now and tell him what you think about his jumper and what he should change that is uh very far from my job and and there are either there are even ones that are more innocuous than that like Mm -hmm. for example i if you have any ideas i'm all i'm all ears i don't know how to ask Luke, like, why isn't Randall playing more in a way that I will get an answer out of it? Like, I can be like, yo, why isn't Randall playing at least 20 minutes? And he's not going to answer that in a, and that, like, you know what I mean? Like, it, yeah. like, I have no problem being confrontational if I'm going to get an answer out of the question. But when you do that, like, and even 
like I asked, for example, I asked him, you know, about the Nance and Lopez combo when he had decided that he was going to uh, start them together. I was like, do you have any concerns about the rebounding? And he like, you know, looked at me like, who the hell are you? And he's like, do you? <laughs> like, he well, will give answers like that. And it's funny every time when it's not happening to me. Right. And I was like, well, you know, I'm curious. He's like, yeah, we're curious, too. And Luke is super cool. Don't get me wrong. No, he's a really but, great guy. Uh, but yeah, like I'm still figuring out, like, how do I ask stuff in a way that can get answered? And a lot of times people ask you, like, can you ask Luke, why didn't he do this? And be like, if you can figure out how to word that for me in a way that he'll actually respond, I, I, you know, let's do it. But I, I'm still navigating those waters. A, a big part of that, too, I think, is like talking to the, the – the, one of the first dynamics that I learned about was like talking to them after a win versus after a loss or at practice versus at, before a game or after a game. Like there are different times when you're going to get more exposition from guys. Like after a game, you're not going to get much as far as like – Unless it was like a big win as far as people expounding on what what their decision-making process is, what they're working on, all that stuff. Like, that's got to be before a game or it's got to be at practice or shoot-around or whatever it may be. Like, that was, I think, one of the first things that I learned was, like, if you want to ask somebody about something big picture like that, like, it's got to be at a practice. Like, you are, like, or you're not going to get a great answer on it after a game. Like, that kind of, those kind of hypotheticals, like, why is this happening or why are you working on this type thing? Absolutely. And to go along with that, the thing that I've found that has worked best for me is the few times where I can get a guy one on one, even if it's Luke, like it's, you know, and it's even if it's an informal type of setting, you know, like before the season I had a conversation with, uh, you know, it was me, Bill Oram and Luke were just talking about the Western Conference. And, you know, it was not, you know, on the record or and, and there was nothing that like was secret or anything, but it was more. I don't think people realize the the whole framework is kind of like I don't love the whole framework of like you kind of shove this guy out and then we've all got our arms in his face with our recording devices and each of us are kind of battling to get a question in to fit our particular story and bit of content that we're working on. It's very like it's not good for human relationships, right? And Luke is way better at this than the players are. You know, like the players, it's very much an obligation. There's a funny incident uh, when they were in town you know, a week, week and a half ago, the way they normally do it is Luke will, you get Luke almost every day. And, yeah. uh, and it's about 10 minutes long and Luke's very good. And then you'll get two players normally. And it's usually, you know, related to who played well in the last game. And in this particular instance, it was Lonzo and Kuzma, who were the guys that we were going to get. And they were kind of like waiting for Luke to be done. And they want to get it over and done with and that's true of all of the players and i i do not begrudge them at all for that no, but never. like this is like, not like i would not want to spend my day answering questions the way that i always say it is like if somebody asked me about a decision one of my editors made on one of my pieces like i don't want to answer that on a recording and then have you blast it out there to the world like you know like it's like these are people that you have to work with like you have to be careful about what you say about them and you don't want to say the wrong thing Absolutely. And, you know, for these guys, it's, it's, like you said, it's not their favorite part of the, their day. Um, so in this instance, Luke is just wrapping up and it was supposed to be Lonzo who was next. And Kuzma sprints in and like elbows Lonzo and like steps in front of him <laughs> so he can go first. And Lonzo's like, what the f-? like, <laughs> like and, and like Kuzma is very satisfied with himself for beating Lonzo, you know, and like getting to get it over with first. Um, and, you know, and then with you know, guys like Kuzma and Lonzo, like Lonzo is the fastest of all of them. You know, we're with most the guys. It's like eight is off the charts. Crazy. It's like most guys, you know, on the little recording devices we have, it'll tell you how long the recording file is. 
eight to ten minutes and get with most guys. Lonzo is like two thirty to three minutes every time. And then like as soon as there's a pause and all of us are looking at each other like, you got anything? You got anything? Like two second pause. He's like, he's gone. Yeah. You know, and, and the, the PR people like and it's like, wow, that was impressive, you know. So anyway, that's a little that's those are the types of things that I'm learning more than the how does the team operate type of stuff. It's just kind of what is the whole media dynamic and what does it mean for me to be a media member with the kind of unique platform that I have? No, I'm glad that we could kind of talk about this because I think it's good for people to get a window behind this stuff. And I, I mean, for me personally, when I was like when I was outside of it, it was always interesting to me to like hear about this behind the scenes stuff. So I hope that everybody that just listened to this right now that you were able to find this as interesting as I was just having this kind of talk with Pete. But if not, hopefully you enjoyed the Lakers talk before that. If you didn't, then I don't know why you're still here, but uh, I appreciate you listening anyway. And uh, that'll do it for Locked On Lakers. Uh, so Pete, just real quick, is there anything you want to plug coming up, coming up this week? No, just, uh, you know, I've joined forces with Darius over at Form Blue and Gold. We're going to have a, the site relaunch. We're hoping for Monday, but uh, if not Monday, you know, later in the week, uh, going to, you know, update the site to join the 21st century. And so nice. if, uh, if you know, we're producing a ton of content, a lot of really heavy on analysis with me and Krangis and Darius and, uh, you know, Grant Goldberg's killing it on the graphics, got Stan, who's our new guy, he's writing for us, Um Really excited about the team that we have together over there. So, yeah, if you could come check us out at Form Blue and Gold, that would be appreciated. Yeah, it is the most thoughtful content you're going to find on the Lakers on a consistent basis. And, uh, you know, I, I am an avid reader myself. I think I read almost everything that you guys put out. Maybe not everything anymore because I've been, like, very busy this semester, but almost everything. Darius is always worth reading. Your videos are a must-watch every single time. So, Pete, I really appreciate the time. Thank you for having me on, Harrison. All right. So as always, you can find the show on, I am looking for my list of things. I guess I lost, uh, Panoply, Megaphone, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Today's Fast Break, Spotify, and Alexa. Anthony will be back with me tomorrow. We will probably be taking some mailbag questions, so go ahead and get those in, and I will talk to you then. Thank you.